What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, baby. Hello, my love. Another Am week. Am I still blurry? You're, uh, yeah. Terribly. You, you look terribly blurry, um, but uh, that'll sort itself out, I'm sure. Um, okay. But, you know, it doesn't matter for the folks at home listening, just listening to the podcast, because they can't see you. Uh, but do our, I sound blurry? You don't. Do I sound blurry? You do not sound blurry one bit. <laughs> Uh, but, but for our patrons, if you want to see how blurry Bridie's camera is versus <laughs> my very high quality camera here, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash turn me on, <clears throat> become a supporter. <clears throat> and, um, and I'll tell you, I'll boost our- my, uh, my internet capabilities here at my, my house uh-huh. and uh, then I will be blurry no more. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, ready for another week of podcasting there, Brad? Yeah, I sure am. Yep. Good, 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 good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, listen, folks, last week, I believe last week. We, and the week before, I think. And the week before, we kind of teased out that we have a big announcement coming your way. And uh, I'm, you know, I say, fuck it. Let's, uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get right to the big announcement um, that we've been, we've been teasing out over the last couple of weeks. 
So uh, if you will humor us for a moment, here is that announcement right now. Beloved listeners and supporters. The final episode of season two of Turn Me On will be episode number 200, airing July 28th, 2021. As you know, Bridey is heading back to school in the fall to continue her education towards massage therapy. It's been 10 years since I've been in school. And uh, as you can imagine, that is a very big commitment. Mm -hmm. The most important question we've been asking ourselves is, what's going to happen to our baby podcast? It's not like we can get a sitter while mama's at school. We searched our hearts and after a number of long conversations, we committed to finding a way to deliver a third and excellent new season for our listeners, friends, and supporters. So first things first, season three of Turn Me On podcast will be premiering this September, 2021. What this means for you, our dear listeners, is that you'll have to find a way to live the month of August without us. I know it's heartbreaking. But all of our spare hours in August will be dedicated to the preparation and production of season three. That means from now until the end of August, we will be finding the guests, recording many excellent conversations for the new season, and pre-booking guests and foreplay recordings from September to May to be sure we have enough content to keep you satisfied all winter long. So we estimate conservatively that over the span of a year, an average of about 20 hours a week goes into producing Turn Me On podcast. And we do it all ourselves, just the two of us. It's been pretty scrappy sometimes, pulling together all the elements to release a weekly episode. And it's really difficult to imagine accomplishing school hours, income earning hours, aka a job, and podcast producing in any way that's sustainable or reasonable. Crowdfunding through Patreon has been keeping the lights on so far. So here's where we turn to you. To support the creation of season three, our goal is to double our Patreon membership by episode 200, which is on July 28th. So if you're listening right now and thinking, yes, four one hour long episodes a month, and the labor of these two beautiful, cute, charming, sweet people, and the added bonus of their Patreon-exclusive content is worth a fancy coffee a month. Well, then what are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com slash turnmeon and make it happen. If you sign up to support us on Patreon at any level between now and July 28th, in addition to what's already included in our Patreon program, you will receive these limited-time Patreon-exclusive benefits. A Patreon-exclusive episode in August, so you won't be so lonely this summer after all. <laughs> a sexy, unique gift of Turn Me On merch to launch Season 3. Input on Season 3 through polls and your questions answered by our guests. Behind-the-scenes peek at Season 3 production over the summer 2021. And as a bonus for all our patrons, at the close of Season 2, you'll get free access to the Human Connection Through Touch recorded workshop. That's a $45 value. As well as free access, and again, that's free access, to the next <laughs> event coming in October 2021. That's not a typo. It'll be free, and that's an additional $45 value. Oh, and as an added bonus for all of our patrons, you'll have the option to be added to our personal close friends only list on Instagram. And that's not only Turn Me On's Instagram, but also on our own personal accounts as well. 
We think this is going to be so helpful for staying in touch with our Termion friends and fans as we move into season three. For those of you who would if you could, but you can't spare the $5 a month tier, there is a way you too can support us in a meaningful way. Follow us, leave us a rating and review, and most impactfully, talk about us and recommend Turn Me On to anyone and everyone you think would enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Thank you. And go touch yourself. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> How about that? Patrons? Patrons, did you hear that? <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> The patrons, <laughs> if you're watching this, you didn't hear that announcement. This is that's no. not how the podcast works. <laughs> definitely, definitely listen to the episode. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, that was the announcement right there, and uh, and we are we're very excited. We're very excited to uh, to bring season two to a close, even though it doesn't really feel like it's been a season because it just feels like it's been the longest season ever. It's been a three year <clears throat> season, probably, but you know yeah. what? The seasons of life. They're not on, they don't follow a calendar. They don't. You're right. No. And creativity and artistry, uh-huh. that doesn't follow the clock. It does not. So, yeah. No. Um, we are, we're very excited to uh, put some, some good high quality work into uh, the upcoming season. Season three uh, set to launch September of this year. <clears throat> um, but again, uh, if, if we're going to make that happen, we need, we need your support. So, uh, thank you for, for everything that you've done so far to support the podcast, wherever you are. And, uh, and now we're really calling on, on you to kind of step up that support. So, um, thank you. We're very excited, very excited. And, and I mean, I think we've recorded all the episodes with guests so far leading up to the final episode of season two, uh, at the end of July here. And they're all really That's great right. conversations. Today's conversation, so lovely, with mm-hmm. our friend Yaz the Human from, uh, from Toronto. Uh, they are just an absolute joy to sit and talk with. And I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to chat with, with them. Uh, we will be getting to that conversation. But before we do, Bridie. Yes, let's talk, baby. Let's talk about some, let's talk about some shit. Let's talk it like, let's get, let's Let's talk about some bummer stuff. Not, okay. not, not bummer. I mean, not really bummer <laughs> stuff, but stuff that like stuff that really kind of struck me as unfortunate. Um, I know you have something um, prepped for this week and, and I also brought something to the table. Um, uh, for anyone who's like a, also a sick boy listener, <clears throat> you're going to hear... Uh, a chunk of what I'm about to say and talk about now on this coming Friday's episode of Sick Boy. Um, but this really blew my mind. So last, uh, this week, actually today, today we dropped an episode on Sick Boy with this, um, with the internet's OBGYN, Dr. Jen Gunter. And her studies, um, you know, she's an OBGYN. She does a lot of work when it comes to like women's health. She has a, another podcast on, on, um, on Ted, uh, all about like busting myths, health myths. But in the conversation that we had with Jen Gunter over on sick boy, she brought something up that I, I thought was really, I, I never knew this. And it was something that was very interesting. And I thought would be very fitting for this podcast. And it's all about how in the world of research and medicine, especially in the world of, of neuroscience, 
medicine research. There's obviously, we use animals, we test on animals to figure out how drugs interact and work. And, and that's, you know, that's like the early days of the process before it, it gets brought to humans and tested on humans and then eventually put out into the, into the sphere of the general public for use. <clears throat> and um, one thing that she told us was how there's this like sort of misogynistic lens that plagues the neuroscience community, the research community when it comes to testing these drugs. So I, I found this article from the guardian. It's, it's an old article. It's two years, two years old. Um, it was written by Hannah Devlin, uh, the science correspondent over at uh, the guardian. <clears throat> the title of the article is use of male mice skews drug research against women, study finds. Male animal bias is unjustified and can lead to drugs that work less well for women. Hmm. This shit blew my mind, okay? So just bear with me as I kind of go through this article. Um, And Brad, feel free to jump in at any time. The male mind is rational and orderly, while the female one is complicated and hormonal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is the beginning of a scientific paper I, this is the beginning of the fucking article which i, I just found I, I think is very funny but then it goes on to say it is a, that is a stereotype that has skewed decades of neuroscience research towards using almost exclusively male mice and other laboratory animals according to a new study so this is a study that came from this uh, woman dr shanksky um, uh, that they're covering in this article. Uh, the article goes on to say, scientists have typically justified excluding female animals from experiments, even when studying conditions that are more likely to affect women. Mm. On the basis that fluctuating hormones would render the results uninterpretable. However, according to Rebecca Shanksky, a neuroscientist at Northeastern University in Boston, it is entirely unjustified by scientific evidence which shows that, if anything, the hormones and behavior of male rodents are less stable than those of female. Shanksky is calling really? for stricter requirements, including animals of both sexes in research, saying the failure to do so has led to the development of drugs that work less well in women. <clears throat> she was quoted saying, people like to think they're being objective and uninfluenced by stereotypes, but there are some unconscious, unconscious biases that have been applied to how we think about using female animals as research subjects that should be looked at by scientists. The article goes on to say, the male bias is seen across all fields of preclinical research, but one of the starkest areas is in neuroscience, in which male animals outnumber females by nearly six to one. Wow. Which is a pretty pretty staggering number. That really that really bums me out because of how much I love what I've learned from neuro- neuroscience yeah. and the all the books that I've like and podcasts and and whatnot and all that stuff that I consume. Knowing it, it, it's given me such a feeling of like sort of empowerment, I suppose, or or whatever on the yep. on the health of my brain. Yeah, and now <coughs> I feel like. <laughs> now I feel totally bummed because, but also excited because if people are talking about this, then maybe it means that within my lifetime, obviously like all of the results of, 
of study, all the benefits of study will have been produced. But that means within my lifetime, maybe even I will experience reading about my neuroscience in a way that actually feels more complete. Hopefully. I mean, that's, that's the fucking hope. Um, because, you know, considering the, the brain through a male lens has up to this point had pretty like major public health implications, according to Dr. Shanksky. Um, okay. One recent example that she used in, in the study that she published in the Journal of Science was um, the, the sleeping drug Ambien. Ambien's okay, a amb- pretty common. Ambien, a common drug, but also a very fucking wild drug. Um, there's a lot of horror stories of Ambien. It's one of those drugs that, you know, there's so many um, anecdotal stories of people taking Ambien and then, you know, for sleep. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they're like in their car and have driven miles from their home and have no idea how they did it or... Or you know, is that mostly women? Well, well, I, th- that I don't know. I can't speak to that. Wait. But it, but that is a common uh, side effect of Ambien. Or female sex, okay. And um, uh, so, so this example that she uses, the sleeping drug Ambien, which has been tested in male animals and then men in clinical trials, it was later shown to be far more potent in women because it was metabolized more slowly in the female body. So across all drugs, women tended to suffer more adverse side effects and overdoses. Just be just because, just because they didn't test it on female mice. Just because scientists are, like, yeah, exactly. Just because scientists have this like this unconscious misogynistic bias, which makes them think that, well, the female the female rat brain is too unstable, too hormonal, too hysterical, too shrill. And, and the man, the male rat brain is, is very, very safe and very, very standard and is like, is, is the, is the safe and reliable brain, right? Mm -hmm. Major depression and post-traumatic stress disorder are twice as prevalent in women, but tests designed to mimic their symptoms in rodents are typically developed and validated in males. Shanksy's work shows male and female rodents can behave differently in such experiments which could provide new insights into these conditions. Um, Recent research has challenged the reasoning behind using almost exclusively male animals with one analysis of nearly 300 neuroscience studies revealing that data collected from female mice was not more variable than that from males. In fact, for some measures, the reverse was true. So, So really, like this this notion that like the male rat brain is more reliable it it it, it actually is bullshit like it's just it's just steeped in stereotype steeped in you know non-feminist misogynistic views <sighs> mm-hmm. um <clears throat> they go on to to kind of break down female rodents have a 4 to 5 day re- reproductive cycle during which estrogen and progesterone increase roughly fourfold However, male mice housed together establish a dominance hierarchy in which the circulating testosterone levels in the dominant males are on average five times as high as the subordinates. So it's like they're, they're not, they're not, both the males and the females have these like very intense, 
you know, fluctuations. fluctuations in, in what's going on in their brains. Or like a, like a, like a, a diverse sort of yeah. scope of what it can look like. Now, again, this article is two years old, um, but it, it, um, they go on to say that this evidence has led the U.S. National Institutes of Health and the Canadian Institutes, Institutes of Health Research to introduce mandates back in 2016 to include... To introduce band-aids? No, no to, introduce, to, to introduce mandates uh, that include both sexes in research. But, and again, this is from The, the Guardian, which is a UK uh, news outlet. However, major UK funders such as the Wellcome Trust and the Medical Research Council have yet to introduce any similar requirements. And Shansky went on to say, now that the U.S. and Canada have made these mandates, it's time for Europe to step it up. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also concerned about the approach taken by some research teams in the U.S., which incorporate both sexes in experiments by working things out in males first and then repeating it in females. And this was one of the things that came up in our conversation with Dr. Gunter, where she was, you know, this isn't her field. This research isn't her thing. But she made the point of like, yeah, you know, maybe it makes sense to use the male rats first because of this idea that they're more stable. And then from there, move on to the female rats. But but Shanksky does does not share that same um, right that that same mode of thinking. Uh, She says, quote, it perpetuates the dated sexist and scientific scientifically inaccurate ideas that male brains are a standard from which female brains deviate. And I have to... Which is bananas because we start as female. And also bananas because half the fucking population is female. Yeah. You know, half the, yeah. half the population is, is, is a human that produces estrogen and progesterone and has a reproductive cycle. Right. So, so like where the fuck is this mode of thinking coming in that makes because it, that makes it, that makes us think like, oh yeah, men, this like, well, this, I, I, I know why. Cause a scientist, <clears throat> first scientist took the first mouse, male mouse, woman, mouse, male, female mice, open up their brains, uh, did some experiments. And when they looked at the male brain, they were like, this makes sense to me. This is similar to how my brain works. Yeah. And so the female was different. Yeah. Just a little more complicated, less recognizable to the initial scientists. Yeah. And that's what I think. And that, and that's kept, and that's, that has stayed the course since, since then, obviously. And, um, according to Shansky, she was quoted saying, there's a concern that research, there's a concern that research that shows sex differences in the brain will be weaponized by misogynists or used to justify and promote inequality, which I think she has a really good point. It's up to scientists mm-hmm. to make sure that these messages of those studies is not conveyed in a comparative way that adds any value. It doesn't have to right. be a competition. It's not about being better. It's just about right. saying how, th- how this thing works. Um, she also went on to say, there is nothing anti-feminist about saying the ne- neurobiology of the female brain might be different. And I think she raises a good point. You know, it's like, <clears throat> this is one of the things that I know over the last like six years of podcasting, especially podcasting in the realm of health and like health sciences, and especially mm-hmm. podcasting 
on two platforms that are majority female listenership. Um, the amount of times that we've, that like I've been told or that I've heard how when it comes to female health, especially when we're talking about like reproductive health, Mm -hmm. you know, things like vaginismus and endometriosis and, and menopause. And I mean, you fucking name it. There's, there's like, there's no female, female pleasure. Like there's no, there has been no research, you know, that like for, for decades, it's just been male focused, male centric. Um, and females finding their way through the system with like no help from, well, very little help unless they're lucky from any kind of health professional. Yeah. Because, because the health professionals are, are just going, well, this is what the research says. So like, you're probably fucking wrong, actually. Like you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And when yeah. really it's like, well, you, you probably, uh, it's in your head. They say it's in your head mm. and you go, that's, Damn right. It's in my head. Open up a female brain it, and figure it that's out. That's where it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, I thought that was so fucking interesting. And I, yeah, like you, I, I am, I'm excited at the, at the, the potential that is there for us to finally like kind of go in the right direction of, of validating, validating the, you know, um, female health from a, from a scientific viewpoint, but, uh, but it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's up to the, it's up to the people that are actually doing the work to, to see this and hear this and, and acknowledge that this is a fucking problem, you know? Right. The right people have to, the people who actually have a say have to be the ones with this information. Yeah. And I know everything we just said, there was very like binary male, female, male, female, but like what we're really talking about here is, is the, Biological. biological like what's happening inside the body so the mice that produce estrogen and progesterone and and have those four to five day reproductive cycles versus the the ones that don't and the ones that have testosterone and you know and babe like you know of course you then you take that same principle and you apply it to how all of the systems around us were designed and who are they, who they were designed for. Yeah. And it's like, you can see how that lens of, you know, the, it, you know, built by through this lens and, and we're still existing in so many of them today, not just mm-hmm. in the medical system, Yeah, but it's a really good, really good uh, illustration of that. Yeah. For sure. Thanks for sharing. <clears throat> yeah. No problem. Love learning. Love learning about that shit. Um, as far as conversation about the future go, um, this is the thing that I saw this week. Here's another big, that, here's another bummer. <laughs> um, let me just pull it up here. So I, I, someone brought up microplastics to me this week and I, yeah. I've heard of it before, but I, like, it's not something I've given a ton of, of thought to. And, um, and then, and the person who, who told me about it shared this, uh, shared this post with me on Instagram that I can't open right now, but essentially um, this woman is saying that uh, she's pointing out the, the, that microplastics are correlated with um, male infertility because it sort of, 
microplastics, which are in pretty much everything we use from shampoo to the food we eat, um, to, you know, just like residue because plastic doesn't break down. It just breaks Mm. or it doesn't go away. It just breaks down smaller and smaller. And because of this and because of the amount of it in our systems, um, yeah, it, it, it's looking like, like as an endocrine disrupting chemical that likes to hang out in the, in the scrota, in the scrotum. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then on top of that, human penis size, penises are getting smaller Mm -hmm. as we evolve as humans. And, uh, and people are, are, are basically saying that we could be, we could be looking at total human infertility by 2045. Yeah. Fertility rates are, uh, are dropping pretty rapidly. Shauna Swan is a doctor that uh, wrote a book called countdown that, that focuses on this. And, uh, Aaron Brockovich actually just like a month or two ago, I think we also talked about this on sick boy, but Aaron Brockovich wrote a, an article about this exact thing. Uh, it was also in the guardian. It was titled plummeting sperm counts, shrinking penises, toxic chemicals, threaten humanity. Um, and according to Shauna Swan, uh, who's an environmental and reproductive epidemiologist um, at Mount Sinai in New York, found that sperm counts have dropped almost 60% since 1973. Since 1973. And she said, following the trajectory that we're on, her research suggests that sperm counts could reach zero by 2045. So just like let that sink in for a second, right? <laughs> we've got, we've got, we've got, U.S., Russia, and China tensions at an all-time high. We've got UAPs, a.k.a. UFOs, flying around in our airspace. We've got the climate uh, scientists basically saying... We got 10 years, maybe. We're going to die. Like We are going to be extinct real soon if we don't change something, and nothing's changing. And then on top of all that, we have this this evidence that is basically showing that in 2045 we could potentially be living in a world that means no babies, no reproduction, no more humans. Children of Men, do you ever remember that movie? I don't really remember that movie, but so good. That would happen. So so good, and that's exactly what happens in that movie. Uh I think the in the in the movie when it starts out the oldest person or sorry, the youngest person alive is like, you know, all of the news and they're like 19. Um, That's right. <clears throat> that happened in another recent show I was watching. It's, it's a, it's a fucking terrifying thought. And it's like, you know, out of all the existential crises that we face on a day to day basis, I feel like this is the one that is not getting any coverage. And this is the one that's, Honestly, probably way worser than all the rest. Like, sure. The infertility. Sure, climate change is a fucking issue. And like, we probably are just running this planet into the goddamn ground. But like, at least if the, at at least we are adaptable. And like, if 70% of the population was wiped out because of rising ocean temperatures and, and what have you, like, there's there's a, an humans opportunity would, to push on and yeah. like yeah for humans to potentially like keep keep things going but 
you mix that with 2045 and no one's making a baby anymore? We'll have come up with, well, you will have bionic sperm by then, I think, because the thing bionic I remember sperm? reading too, this is what I think too, because I remember reading a stat that we're also less male babies are being born every year. Yeah. Um, since a particular date. And I, I'm, I remember reading that and thinking, well, this is like mother nature's way of, of like affecting the population essentially. Mm. And so, I mean, this isn't mother nature's way. This is microplastics way, which is a human, a human <laughs> problem. Yep. It's, we did that. Yeah. And, um, and so, so yeah, we've kind of done it to ourselves. But I feel like by 2045, if you can make a baby in a tube now, you're going to be able to make a baby in a tube even better. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm Or we'll find out that some other living mammal on earth that sperm can be used and then sweet tooth will have sweet tooth. mixed baby animal humans. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Aaron Brockovich goes on to say, um, the chemicals to blame for this crisis are found in everything from plastic containers and food wrapping to waterproof clothes and fragrances and cleaning products to soaps and shampoos to electronics and carpeting. Some of them called PFAs are known as forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment or the human body. They just accumulate and accumulate doing more and more damage minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And now it seems like humanity is reaching a breaking point. Apparently we eat approximately the equivalent of a credit card a week in microplastics. Whoa. Whoa. That's a crazy stat. Yeah. (sighs) Ew. I know. Like the, like, like the size of a credit card, like that much plastic. Yeah. That can't be good for your balls. <laughs> I don't have balls. Where is it in me? It's why I have eczema, probably. Yeah. That's why I have, that's a, that's why why I have I a bad acne. I so honestly, today, the last couple of days I've been in like, the last couple of weeks I think I've been walking around the planet um, feeling like an alien mm. that just got like set down with like, I'm not very good at zooming out and looking at big picture. Like I'm really focused. Like I'm really sensitive in the moment. I'm really just like one foot in front of the other. And so sometimes I can get really overwhelmed and, you know, just like panicky. But when I zoom out and I look at how as human beings, we've really only been living like this for a couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. And when you put like that in the scope of 10,000 years, it, um, I think it frees, it frees me from thinking that my singular, that, that it's super important that I spend my singular life trying to achieve a level of like fame or recognition or like acquisition of dollars. Like it just Mm. seems so unnatural when I zoom out to look at how we spend our time now and how Mm -hmm. like disconnected we've become since industrialization to, to like, 
the rewards of our work. Yeah. Like we get money, but it's not, it doesn't in our psychology, it doesn't, it's not enough to like motivate us. So we just like a couple of companies own, we work for like, you know, a couple of big company or a couple of billionaires. We all are just like mm. working away to, to make them millions. And we're not even aware that we have these incredible sensitive, like we have, we have like this capacity to experience human life in a completely different way. Mm. But at least for myself at 37, I, I feel like last week I was walking around with this like perspective and I hadn't done any drugs or anything, but I was in this state of like, I felt really easy about everything and like how grateful I am to be able to spend my time and doing the things that, that I get to do. And like, feeling so appreciative, like the <clears throat> miracle of the fact that I have a guitar that I could play mm -hmm. or that I have, you know, just like what I have at my disposal to entertain myself and like appreciate just like this brief existence that I have. I think Matt more now more than ever is like, that is at the, that is like the most important way to be looking at things and looking at the world because I don't know. I'm I like I'm not an I don't think I'm a nihilist per se. I think I'm like an optimistic nihilist in that the reality is <clears throat> nothing lasts, everything dies, we're all going to die. And when I say we all, I mean like every human, every <laughs> animal, every like the every planet, like we're it's all it's all coming to an end. Whether that's fast or slow, it's it's coming to an end. So like You could you can hear all this shit that we're saying right now and and be like overwhelmed by the 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 very real bummer that it is. Um or you can you can look at it and accept it for what it is and and like use it as fuel to do exactly what you were just saying, which is like feel a little bit more grateful for the time that we have and the people that we surround ourselves with and, and the experiences that are at our disposal. And, um, yeah, because like, this is, this is, this is all we, this is for as far, as far as we know, as far as anyone else is aware, no matter what your beliefs are, this is all we have. This one, this one, this one time, this one shot, is all we have. So, <clears throat> um, not to say that there's like, we shouldn't do as much as we can to try to be good for the future of, of humanity, but, but also, you know, you gotta, you gotta just like pull back a little bit and just acknowledge, Hey, it, there's so much that's outside of your control. So, <clears throat> Yeah. And I, and I think too, like, this is like from a, from like the perspective of, you know, a lot of our friends in the like yoga and mindfulness community as well. Like this practice of non-attachment has been, is a part of that. And because I really, I really feel like the way we kind of got to where we are is that, you know, greed, greed comes in and we start feeling like we need more than what we have. And sometimes we do need more than what we have. Um, 
to to make ends meet. But then go to patreon.com slash turn me on. <laughs> yeah, we do need <laughs> we do need more than we have. <laughs> but uh but like you know, it's just the ex- it's excess the excessiveness yeah. is where yeah. is where like a lot of the damage the, a lot of the damage happens. Yep. And so yeah. I really think there's a lot of a lot of like a lot of work. A lot of this can be done just by the really cliched practice of appreciating, like appreciating, mm-hmm. <clears throat> intentionally appreciating. I'm moving forward with two new principles that I've came up with while I've been an alien on this planet the last two weeks. One is um, Esther Perel's um, quote that the quality of your life depends on the quality of your relationships. Mm. And when it comes to the body and the brain, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. Those are my two sort of big takeaways from this weird alien phase. Mm. I'm kind of sad feeling like my feet are a little more on solid ground this, this week, but, but, uh, I did enjoy drifting through, drifting through space with a little more ease. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think <laughs> folks, uh, this, uh, this conversation that we're about to throw to will also help you move through the world with a little more ease. Um, mm-hmm. we are chatting with our friend Yaz, um, all the way from Toronto they're all about play, pleasure, practice, and pickles. Um, I highly suggest you follow them on uh, Instagram. Uh, their content is great. And this conversation was, was it, it really was just a pure delight. Uh, so, so grateful to have had a, a, a moment to sit down and chat with them. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, again, um, uh, that announcement that we made, it's, uh, we're excited about it. We're so happy that all of you have been with us so far. And we really look forward to the future with all of you. And we hope you enjoy this conversation with Yaz, the human. Okay, well, then, I'm so excited uh, to be sitting here talking to Yaz, the human, uh, finally, um, mostly because I'm excited because, Yaz, uh, you are pals with my partner, Leah, and Leah has just spoken so highly of you, um, and so oh. I just thought it was, uh, it was such a great, a great sort of... Um, uh, collaboration here to bring you on the podcast to talk about all the work that you do because you do quite a lot of work uh, in the realm of sex, sexuality, gender. Um, uh, why don't you, why don't you take a moment to introduce uh, yourself to us, but also all of our listeners and give us a bit of insight into what it is that you are doing with your life over in Toronto. Sure. Again, super flattered to be here. Big fan of Lee as well. This is so cool that this is happening like this. Um, my name is Yaz. My pronouns, uh, I recently changed to they, he. I am a non-binary Middle Eastern human uh, from Toronto, and I'm a human first, and I do lots of things, uh, like you said, within the sex and sexuality uh, sphere industry. 
Um, I'd say first and foremost, after being a human, um, I am a queer community organizer and leader. Um, so I have this program called Wake the Fuck Up, which is essentially a big group of queers that are getting together to make life I guess a little bit more bearable. So we do things like wake each other up together in the morning, but recently as the group has become a little bit more intimate, we've explored things like um, non-sexual nudity, where we are being together on Zoom, doing our daily tasks, having dance parties, exercising, feeling into how our bodies move um, and being witnessed in the nude, knowing that we are in a safe container where nobody's gonna hit on us or make any comments about our body. Mm. Um, and that group has kind of like, evolved into a really beautiful space where even just the other night a couple of select people within that group we shared uh, a masturbation session together together and that was really really interesting um, I'm really into the idea of platonic intimacy and kind of like reshifting our focus away from you know that there are certain things that are only reserved for our romantic partners and seeing like how many things that were reserved only for that relationship structure can actually be enjoyed and really like healthy and beneficial outside of that space. Um, but the other things that I do, um, it's it's so hard to explain because I feel like as a freelancer, you're just like giving yourself titles for the things that you do. <laughs> I, always, I'm a, I, like, I was I'm writing. Like, okay. I was writing a bio this morning and I was like, I am an experience facilitator. I have no idea where that hat came from. Yeah. Yeah, but you're like, that's the best way to describe it. So I yeah, so I say that I'm a movement facilitator and a play encourager. Um, so movement can either be, you know, within like the, the movement practices that I do. Okay, I'll be more specific. I founded this or started this class called The Intimate, which is a um, class for developing self-intimacy where we use a couple of different uh, modalities, a couple of different techniques to kind of like take ourselves on a date and explore like the kinds of relationships that we want to have with ourselves. I make OnlyFans content. Um, I talk to people about masturbating. I'm an online Instagram content creator, whatever the flying fuck that means. Um, I like to write. I work with a uh, really amazing sex toy company, women-owned Canadian company called Bonbon. I don't know, friends. I do a lot of really, I started a podcast with my, with my partner, my ex-partner. We broke up a couple of days ago. It's a weird, it's a weird thing, you know? Okay. Wow. Okay. You do it all. Yeah. You do it all. I, I have so I many questions like, um, <laughs> okay. based on everything you just said, I guess the first one is let, let's talk about, um, and this question is arising from what you just said about, um, <clears throat> this, this online community, this group that you have, um, with folks where you are, um, ex experimenting and encouraging, um, group nudity and, and, and like platonic intimacy. I want to talk about your thoughts and, and what you've experienced and what you, what you've seen surrounding shame when it comes to, when it comes to sharing your body with other, other people. Um, you know, that's a very, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in that scenario right now and already like all these red flags in my head are coming are up. About, yeah. About like my own body and, and, and feeling comfortable naked in front of people that aren't my, <clears throat> aren't my significant other. Um, wh what has, what, what have the conversations been like, or have there been conversations on this group? surrounding shame when it comes to your your sexuality your 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 own nudity uh things like that 
Um, yeah, we do a lot of chatting. I mean, in order for the space to feel as comfortable as possible, we have to talk a lot about consent and kind of break down what nudity even is or what intimacy even is and how, how fully do you want to participate in this space. In terms of my own experience, the reason that this is so important to me is because I, like many other people, have felt a lot of shame around my naked body, feeling like somehow the way that I'm built is not enough, or it's not quite right. But the piece that stands out the most to me is feeling like somehow this part of me is only reserved for, yeah, somebody that I'm being romantic with. And that outside of that, this is like a hidden, shameful thing, that mm. there's something wrong with wanting to be in my natural form and to be witnessed by other people in this space. And I think that that's just wrong. Um and I, I'm just I'm just not a fan of it. Um, in terms of the kinds of conversations and issues or concerns that I notice come up in the group a lot is people feeling like, yeah, really ashamed or embarrassed about their bodies. And it's it's so it's so unfortunate to see, but like when we're told that there is one specific body shape that is acceptable or seen as sexy, like the rest of us end up feeling like by default not sexy because of what we have. Mm -hmm. um, but so it's like, what if we take away? What if we take sexiness out of the equation? What if we are being encouraged to be in our nudity, not to be able to like, not to use it as a way to like convince somebody to sleep with us or to see us as beautiful, just to be seen and to get comfortable doing things in without having to hide or cover, cover our bodies. Um, I've seen a lot of really amazing progress come from the group. Um, and people have like really managed to find ways to to really embrace embrace their nudity and feel more comfortable being seen by other people in it. Um, I mean, I'd love to eventually be a part of like, you know, a nude a nude commune kind of situation. Like I feel like a lot of people are. And why is that? Because we're tired of hiding, because we're tired of being told what is acceptable to do with our bodies. it's it's bullshit. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Are you, would you consider yourself a, a 
<clears throat> I don't know enough about I don't know enough about the culture. Um <laughs> but like what, yeah, nudists. Like I like <laughs> there's um there's a group of nudists that gather at a lake um here in Halifax. And I've gone a couple of times with a, a group of friends who um who are very much like are a part of this community. And <clears throat> I don't have it in me. I don't have it, I don't have the 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 like the internal gusto to just like let it all hang out. I feel like for you, Jeremy, it's more because of, of like a cleanliness slash like, like getting sand up your butt crack would be really irritating for you. No, 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 no. Look, Brady, I know you have this like thought that I am some sort of like germaphobe, like total neat freak, which I am, I, to a degree, yes. In, or, in order to protect my own health, yes, I am. <clears throat> but I'm okay with having mud up my asshole. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm totally cool with, with, it, oh, with, with sand in the if crack. If it's not the mud in the asshole thing, then what, what is it that keeps you from wanting to let it all hang out? <laughs> I don't want... I, it's my dick. It is, it's like it's shame around my dick. It's, it's the... I, like, so, so when I was growing up, I... <clears throat> I didn't have the, I didn't have the upbringing in, so like I, I have a lot, I love, like speaking of my guy friends, I have a number of guy friends who, who um, played hockey growing up and, and like the hockey locker room, it was, it's very casual and very, um, um, I guess, uh, uh, normal to be sharing that space nude with your teammates. I, I, that wasn't my sport. I was a paddler growing up. So like I would show up to the paddling club wearing the clothes that I was going to go (laughs) on the water with. And, and so like I was, I never had, I never had a, I never had a, a space where it was normal for me to be naked in front of others. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's like fucking Catholic shame or whatever. And I'm not, I, I wasn't super Catholic, but I did grow up with this notion that like, okay, this is your, like, these are your private parts and they don't get shown. And also like growing up, I had a lot of, uh, and still to this day, like I have a lot of shame around. I can't believe I'm saying this right now. I have a lot of shame around. I have a lot of shame, whatever, fuck it. I'll say it. I have a lot of shame around my flaccid penis. Like even even if I'm at, with my partner who I've been with for years who've seen my naked body, like I I kind of feel weird if they're if they see my my dick not showing up to the party with its like with its tuxedo on, you know. Like I <laughs> my 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 erect penis I am very proud of and I love and I think is the coolest little guy and I just love him so much. But when he's not when he's not just engorged. I am, I, I don't like him. And so it's like, I, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to show him to anybody else. I want to, I want to hide him from everyone. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, it, it's, it's totally shame-based. It's like a embarrassment, shame. I don't know. And I've never talked about it until this very moment. So here we go. Well, I'm, I'm really proud of you for, for doing that. I know that it's a super vulnerable thing to talk about the parts of our bodies that make us feel uncomfortable or not worthy. 
I think in those moments, what's most important to ask ourselves, is this actually shame that is inherent within my being or has it been given to me? It's right. been passed on to me by somebody else. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly, 100% of the time, it's not yours to begin with. And once we can start to dissociate our own values from the values that we've just blindly taken because that's what we were given, we start to find more space and room to make our own decisions about what we think needs to be hidden mm. or what we think isn't worthy of of being seen or embarrassed about. I mean, I grew up in a in a very interesting household, a very naked household. So yeah, I would say that I'm probably a bit of a nudist. I showered with my sisters and my mom until I was fucking 16 years old. Right. And everybody in the house was always naked, in, including my father. And you know, I would be like in the bathroom putting my makeup on and my mom's like naked in her bedroom and my two sisters are in the shower and we're just like sharing space in that way. So it wasn't until Mm. I started uh, dipping my toes into like hookup culture where I started feeling shame around my body or seeing the way that um, bodies were represented in the media. I was really lucky in the sense that like I wasn't given that shame from my parents and I was always encouraged to just like that there was nothing wrong with being naked. Mm. And then it's like, I got confused when I was, you know, a certain age where boys were making fun of my body or I felt like I was just, I was wrong. And so I feel like I'm returning back to the way that I was raised and trying to be like, there's really nothing wrong. Do you, do you personally have any, so, you know, say, say what I just said resonated with somebody um, and they're hearing you talk about this right now. What, like, what would be, do you have any tools or tips for folks who do find a bit of shame around, you know, the, the, the way that their naked body looks, shame around the the shape of their vulva, shame around their breasts, shame around their penis, like whatever it might be? Totally. Yeah. I've, I've got a bunch. The first one is definitely a conversation to have around where that shame is coming from. That is first and foremost, is this actually mine from there? Um, in terms of like somatic experiencing, things that you can do to interact with your own body. The first exercise that I really like is called body reclaiming, where you're either tapping or massaging or touching your body and saying, this is mine. This is my face. This face belongs to me. This is my pussy. This pussy belongs to me. And you can go through your whole body from head to toe, closing your eyes, feeling into those words. I highly recommend that you speak out loud to yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one. Next is mirror work. And this one is very, very confronting the first time that you do it. Um, Jeremy, this is probably one that I would prescribe to you if and when you feel ready to it, uh, to be open to that would be to sit down with a hand mirror, to open your legs and to take a look at what you've actually got going on down there and just see it and witness it and to speak very kindly to yourself, to affirm yourself again out loud. Like this is, this is my flaccid penis. This is a good flaccid penis. This is, this, this thing is mine and it works and it's good. And it does not exist in order to impress some and somebody else like to kind of just take back ownership of your own body and then finding movement. So I, I, I'm a mover. I love to move. Mm-hmm. And so I'll often like bring my hands to a certain part of my body and allow movement to kind of derive from that place. And then you can get silly with it too. Cause I don't think that there's any point doing any of this work if there isn't an element of play with it. Mm-hmm. So let's say in my case, I feel a lot of, um, or I have felt, I've worked through a lot of it, a lot of shame around how large the lips of my labia are. And like, just feeling like, oh my God, like, this is so big. Like, I've just got a big 
I've got a big fucking pussy. So what I'll do is I'll try and find movement that starts from my pussy. And I imagine that there's like a paintbrush stuck inside of my vagina and I'm painting a picture using, using that. And then it just becomes this mm. beautiful, this beautiful, silly, ridiculous thing. You, I you, love that. Can you, can you yeah. give us another example of a movement exercise? You're totally speaking mm-hmm. my language right now. Yeah. Okay. So another one specifically around like feeling okay in your body. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or okay, just so another or one, another one like, that you like to play with and anyone, any movement thing you like to play with that I can share with our listeners. Cause yeah. Any. One of the other ones that comes to mind, which is a little bit different, but it feels like my favorite thing to do if you feel like you are moving towards like performative pleasure, let's say. And that's mm. something that I definitely want us to talk about at one point. So this might be related to what you were bringing up, Jeremy, too, where you're like only down to be seen with your penis when it is at its um, maximum potential to perform, to be able to please somebody else, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. So what I recommend in instances like that, when we find ourselves kind of defaulting into autopilot to do what we think we're supposed to do, one exercise is falling and getting back up. So your goal is to get down onto the ground in as ugly and ridiculous as a way as as possible, and then to find the most interesting way to get back up again. And you just keep falling and getting back up, keep falling and getting back up. And then after a while, you start to realize that a, falling is okay, failing is okay, fucking up the performance is okay, and that there are so many different ways in your body that you can experience trying again. And I think that that's really helpful in terms of when we think about not being able to orgasm or not being Mm. able to perform, being like, how creative can I get about being able to find pleasure or getting myself back up again, encouraging myself? Um, Something else that's really fun that you're probably familiar with, Bridie, is uh, any like primal movement so pretending like you're an animal and animals don't give a shit about how they're being perceived like how much can you embody you know this tiger in this moment and how does that change the quality of your movement how does that change the way that you're showing up how insecure are you when you're trying to be a peacock like maybe not very Mm. but just like one of my staples always is to be like get as ugly as you fucking can right Right. now right 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 right. ugly and that always brings up like some really interesting stuff. I, I love, I, Bridie, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like every time we've had conversations akin to this on the show, the, the advice that, that sprouts up is always something that makes me, that in, almost immediately like throws me back 10 years in the past into theater school. Like, I, I'm just like, oh yeah, Right do what we did in theater school. Like it, it, it's so, <laughs> it's so helpful. Like it's, there's such theater a place school for set it. you up for life. Yeah, it, it, did. Really it did. Is yeah. Life. yeah, it is. It really, you really know, is. And do you remember one of our teachers in first year, Peter Wilde, he, he mm. would, he would say when you're, when you're acting, when you're in a moment, in a moment of connection and in rhythm with everything that's going on around you, mm. it's better than sex. He would yeah, say this. Yeah, he was this, yeah. he was this mm-hmm. white-haired, old gay man, just like he, he would look you square in the eye and say, it, it, I believe yeah. it is, with yeah. 100% conviction. And, and, and I kind of, that kind of occurred to me while you were talking about those movement exercises because mm-hmm. one of the things that happens when, you, <clears throat> when you're doing those kinds of, of movements is you're surprising yourself. And all of a sudden you're outside of, 
habitual movement and pattern and you're doing things that you're making gestures you've never made before. And so there's this whole stimulation of the internal life too. And then mm. it becomes almost, I, for me, I totally hit on that orgasmic sort of tingly feeling everywhere when you have those moments where you go, I just got lost in that. Mm. I wasn't even, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was in a different state of consciousness. I, I think this is a really great segue into the performance piece because something that I've been thinking about uh, recently is exactly this. It's like this idea of, of performance and, and utilizing performance when it comes to sex uh, with a partner and yeah, as I'd be curious to know your thoughts on how, because I, I believe that performance can both help, but also hinder, um, pleasure when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, pleasure between two people. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like how, how, how performing during sex or performing during intimacy can be helpful, but you know, the other side of it can also be, be uh, a, a bit of a hindrance to to the actual pleasure that's given slash received in in that exchange. I cannot think of one good reason why performance would be helpful outside of really? a kink setting, outside of a okay. role play setting. No, okay. like obviously, if you are, yeah, if you're creating a role and character development is a part of your kink, and that's a part of your sex, like of course, there's going to be an elements of performativity. But outside of that. I, I really can't think of any, I, I'd be really curious to hear <clears throat> what you're kind of thinking behind that, but I can only think of reasons why it's not helpful to us and how it continues to push us into shame places if we're not able to reach mm. that like idealistic level of what we're supposed to look or sound or feel like or give in terms of like how to make our partners feel comfortable or like happy with what they're doing, like just communicate. Like we don't have to make all these big sounds and fake an orgasm to make our partner feel like they are doing a good job based on like our performance. Like just talk to each other. Sure, um, sure, sure. I guess, I guess what I mean is, is less of like le way less of the, I think that's the performance that hinders, right? The performance of I'm going to, I am going to um, fake this orgasm so that my partner feels like they are making me feel good. And that's the performance that I'm putting on. That doesn't help anybody. But, you know, uh, I guess an example could be um, one of the two partners expresses um, that they're really into, uh, they're really into feet. Whether that's like having their feet engaged with or they're really into their partner's feet or whatever. And the partner is like, I'm not, I'm not so much into feet, not that it turns me off, but it's just like, it's not the thing that comes to mind. It would never be the thing that would ever come to mind. But the fact that I know you're into feet so much, I want to provide you with that experience so that you get the pleasure out of the feet, whatever that might be. And so I'm going to, <clears throat> I'm going to perform, I'm going to show up and perform in a way that I feel like will benefit you because I know it turns you on. You know what I mean? I, I, I guess maybe performance yes, is the wrong, play. is the wrong, <clears throat> I guess yeah. performance is the wrong word to use there because it's, it, it's, 
it, it no, but this is good like, because it's asking us to re reimagine or to like get really specific about what we think performance actually means. Because mm. what I think that you're talking about here is being willing to try something new, being mm. willing to get a little uncomfortable, knowing that your partner is going to really enjoy something that you might not necessarily, but it's not a hard no for you. So you're willing to engage in a practice mm. that, you know, but you're still talking about presence. You're still talking about showing up. That's, right. that's the complete opposite to performance to me. Performance is when you take your presence away from the occasion and you are showing up on autopilot, doing what it is that you think that you have to do and losing touch with your body, losing your sovereignty, losing your autonomy, losing, losing yourself in the process. When we perform, it is for the benefit of another person in order to be perceived. And mm. like outside of being on a stage or when something is a very clear performance, I don't see that as being a helpful peace for humans I just right. I really don't and like I I'm I'm coming up against this whole idea of performativity a lot in for two different reasons one because gender is so confusing and I'm realizing for myself that gender really doesn't exist and the only way that it can exist is through the perception and the way that it's given back to me when witnessed and seen by another human. So in order for me to be seen the way that I want to be seen by somebody else, I have to perform in a very specific way that adheres to the way that most people understand gender now, mm-hmm. which is it's just unfortunate, but it's it's where it's where we're at. The other way that I've I'm coming up against this is that I'm noticing that the more content that I create online through OnlyFans or with private clients or whatever the harder it is for me to detach from that when I'm doing my own like solo uh, pleasure or like when I'm just playing with a partner, I can feel myself wanting to resort back to the tricks and the things that I know that I rely on when I'm making content. And so what I'm learning for myself now is I don't think that I'm ever going to be like a pro adult performer. A, I'm really not that good of an actor and B, it just doesn't feel good for me. So the only Mm. kind of porn that I'm interested in making is the one that is the least performative as possible. And in order to do that, you have to get so, so vulnerable and it's fucking terrifying Mm. because it's so much easier for me to be like, oh, like I know how to squirt literally in 10 seconds. There's like a button I can press and I can just do it and I can make it seem like there's this like big emotional, you know, like I'm going through a catharsis. Like, I don't know, like I'm about to like transform into something else or I could be like you know what half the time when I'm masturbating and feeling really good like I'm not making that much sound my faces aren't my face isn't contorting into these like really ridiculous things and maybe a lot of people aren't going to be into that but like that's what my pleasure actually looks like Mm, and I don't mm want to perform it all the time yeah yeah that's I I like that you I like that you said that I think I think where I I think where my brain was before all this was I really was speaking as an actor. And again, that like throwing back to what Peter Wilde said, it's like true good performance can't be true and good performance unless it is fully, um, unless it is fully felt, unless it is fully realized and fully like expressed from a true place. And so, you know, like, uh, yeah, I think I was just speaking too much, too much from an actor's perspective because not everyone's an actor. And, and I, I forget that sometimes. Um, <laughs> I've never heard this point, this, this side of sort of uh, this conversation about, um, creating content, especially as a, mm. like someone in the sex, sex industry, um, that kind of content specifically and the performative aspect of that kind of content. This is, this is just, it never really crossed my mind. Um, 
But of course that makes so much sense because if you're making anything and putting it out there, especially now when it's so noisy and there's so much content and there's so much worthwhile stuff out there to be paying attention to, you want to make sure that what you're putting out there is authentic as possible because then it, it, it's, it that's reads what, that way. It reads authentic. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And it, it's like satisfying. Also, and, mm-hmm. But I was going to say also or not, like there are lots of people that have no desire to make content or to show their sexuality in uh, what it actually looks like in their life for safety reasons, for privacy reasons, for mm. being able to maintain some sort of like professional, personal, like differentiation. I have a lot of friends that like only want to create content from like a cosplay perspective where like there is a really high performative element because they Mm. don't want to give that part of themselves to the consumer. And Mm. I can totally appreciate and respect that that is not for everyone. I just know that 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 part isn't for me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would like, just shifting gears slightly here, um, I am dying to talk to you, Yaz, about pegging. Let's talk about pegging. I saw that you had written an article called Pegging My First Time 101. Um, <clears throat> we haven't touched on pegging in, ye- Brady, it's been years. Like it's um, been a long time since we've, ta- we've talked about it. Yeah. And we hear from a lot of our listeners um, uh, on, a, on a pretty regular basis about how the conversations on the podcast have uh, given them the opportunity to open up conversations with their partner about things that maybe they have they had never had the the confidence or the or the ability to bring up um in the past and so i think this is one of those things where you know talking about shame talking about performance talking about expressing our needs pegging's i would guess is probably one of those things that can be quite hard for a lot of people to broach within a subject or broach within a relationship um <clears throat> So can can you offer a bit of insight into your experience with pegging? What pegging has been like for you? How could if someone is interested in pegging, uh, whether that's giving or receiving, how to bring it up in a in a relationship context? Sure. Uh, the first thing that I want to mention that's really interesting and I think worth mentioning is that I don't use the term pegging anymore. Okay. And I'll tell you why. So this is a pretty recent term that was coined by Dan Savage who is uh, an, an interesting uh, human. And what I've heard within like uh, specifically lesbian discourse around this term is that it delegitimizes the experience for non-penis owners and that it's, it creates some sort of, um, yeah, like separation between like flesh penises and silicone penises. Why mm. does it have a separate word? And the reason that a lot of uh, people have come up with the theorize that if we were to just say anal, if you're like, oh yeah, I was performing anal sex on my boyfriend, that's too gay. But if you say pegging, it, it starts to enter like a totally different territory that essentially protects the, the man. Mm. And so in general, I'm not really that interested in protecting the man. Um, so I just don't use that term anymore. I just say I'm having sex. I'm, I'm having penetrative sex, but I understand again, based on the way that the world is functioning. Like if I were to say that people would be like, well, what, well, what do you mean by that? What, what does that mean? But just, just as a side note, just so you know, um, 
broaching the pegging or penetration topic can be challenging for sure. Um, but I just feel like I, I live in a vacuum. So it's almost hard for me to, at this point, like think about somebody who wouldn't be open to having that experience. But then I'm like, okay, remember, not everybody is in that place. People mm -hmm. are at different levels of sexual expression and experimentation. Um, do we want to know how to start having that conversation or do we want to talk like technique? How to, I mean, I think, I think first let's, let's dive into how to have that conversation. I think it's the same as having any other conversation about any other sexual act that you would want to participate in. Mm -hmm. You start having the conversation outside of the bedroom. You definitely don't want to start thinking about or talking about trying new things when you're in the heat of the moment where it might be hard to say no to someone or, you know, your endorphins are high and you're not quite clear. It's harder to give consent in that space. So you want to have a sit down conversation where you can both hear each other out outside of the bedroom and talk about your concerns, why it is that you might be into this thing, what it is that you're hoping to get out of the experience um, and address all of those things. And then you participate in all of the setup together if you can. So you want to like shop around for the toys together. You want to talk about size. If we're talking about, you know, penetrating somebody in the ass, let's say, who has never had anything in there before, recognizing that that is an eventual step and definitely not the place that you're going to start. Let's talk about fingering first. Do we want to wear gloves? What's the state of your nails? Do we want to get some sort of like butt plug set? Like, you know, getting really honest about like how much time this might actually take. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'd say that those are definitely good places to start. Maybe uh, there's like a really fantastic resource created by Lola Jean. That's like a pegging 101 course that is available on their website as well as on educated which is like the netflix of sex education such yeah. a cool space um and you can learn all about like specific techniques like the knuckling technique or like what kinds of lubes you'd want to use and stuff like that there is so much information what's the knuckling there. technique and, oh this just... is one of my favorites yeah so you essentially just want to put your knuckles it, like you're going to spread open the ass cheeks and you're going to put your fist in there and you just start to very gently massage and turn your knuckles around. It's really oh, nice. So you essentially want to spend time warming up around the asshole as much as possible before going in to like relax the sphincters. Um, and it just feels really nice. It feels great. That sounds like it feels great. Yeah. Knuckling. <laughs> yeah, right, I'm gonna write this down. Knuckling. We learned so, That's right. many, yeah. so many new things today. Um, <laughs> I uh, I'm I'm curious to know if you've received much pushback um, uh, coming back to this the the community that you you are serving with these um, with these uh, you know these exercises in being nude together and and masturbation ses sessions together. Have you have you received much pushback? In that in that space, um, uh, hesitation in in going forward with these these kinds of like uh, sessions, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yes and no. Like people knew when they were signing up for this what we were getting into. You know, we have like a really intense community guideline sheet where we talk about the things that are acceptable and unacceptable in the space, the kinds of things that might come up. Um, yeah, the kinds of like stress or shame or things that are going to be really challenging for you to come up against. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, like I haven't received any criticism from people being like, oh, what you're doing here is irresponsible 
or, you know, I don't like the way that you're facilitating in this space, like go get a degree, which I'm thinking about doing anyway. Um, (laughs) But I haven't gotten anything in that way, but I have had a couple of conversations with people being like, you know, I'm not ready for this. I'm really uncomfortable. And sometimes I think when people are uh, perhaps like, how do I say this? Maybe disappointed in themselves for not being able to show up. They want to deflect that and blame it onto somebody else. So I mm. have had a couple of conversations with with some people where they've been like, you know, like this was too much for me. And I'm like, is that really feedback to give to me? Or is that something that you need to sit down and, and think about? And I can help in that processing a little bit to a certain degree. I mean, I can't be available one-to-one for all 40 members of this community, but, you know, we, we really try our best to create a safe environment. But, you know, sometimes it's like, that's a diary entry, babe. Mm. Like, that's something that you need to really sit down and, and think about yourself. And I know how challenging this is. And I feel you, I've been there too. But like, you know, that's not, that's not on me to, to take on. And that's been really, really, really hard. The mm. thing that I've learned the most from this entire experience is boundaries. And mm. I am such a people pleaser. Like, I'm obsessed with people obsessing over me I love it when people like me so when people give me feedback like oh that wasn't super transformational or that really stressed me out or I think I need to like go see a therapist and I'm like hey go see a therapist anyway like I'm not a mental health professional like I can try my best this is essentially a peer support group but um I get like emotional about it Mm -hmm. and I'm learning now that the best that I can do is share from my own experiences, be really clear about what it is and what it isn't and be prepared that it is not going to be for everyone. Mm. And it's really hard to do, but it's been, it's been, it's been really magical actually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, time uh, has just like flown by here. Um, I, I love, I love, I love the sounds of, of all the work that you're doing. Um, and I know that our, our listeners are going to be jacked up about this too. Can you give yourself a little plug? What's the, what's your podcast? How can people stay up to date with what it is that you're doing? What it is that you're up to? Um, how can people find Yaz the human? To find Yaz the human, please head over to Instagram at yaz.thehuman. I am definitely always on the brink of about being deleted. Like I'm always like about to get deleted. (laughs) Um, So you can go ahead to my website, yazthehuman.com and you can sign up for my newsletter. I send newsletters when I feel like it. There's no schedule there. You might get twice (laughs) in a month. You might not hear from me for months. I don't know. I just do what I want. Um, You can send me an email if you want to talk about... uh, domination sessions if you want to talk about uh that stuff you can follow me on OnlyFans at the non-binary dom the podcast is called intellectual erection uh my ex-partner and i are taking a break for a month to give ourselves some space for personal reasons and then we'll be returning to finish the rest of the season um in in a little bit not sure yet uh, but we've got four really fantastic episodes that exist there right now so you can go to instagram at intellectual erection find it on spotify find it on whatever and yeah head over to the website click workshops click classes um i'm got lots of big plans this summer for turning intimate into a course um and wake the fuck up we'll be continuing in the fall and you might see me on a on a tv show (laughs) we'll see i'll let you know if that happens but yeah i don't know stuff's happening follow me on instagram you know the situation 
Amazing. Yeah, yeah this thank has been you so really, much. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thank you so much for this. Thanks for having me. Say hi to Leah for me, please. I will. I will. There you have it, folks. That was our chat with Yaz. And Yaz, it was. Yaz, it was. <laughs> um, folks, thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are tuning in from, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of the other podcast aggregates that are out there that are pumping out the episodes. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or just hit follow on Spotify. That would mean the world to us. And if you want to support the podcast even further, again, like we said in our announcement, um, the, the, the train here of, of Turn Me On Podcast is, is only able to chug along with your uh, crowdfunded support. Um, and so if you want to do that and help us uh, see our way into season three, you can go to patreon.com slash turn me on. If you want to reach out to us, you can email us at turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com or slide into our DMs over at Instagram. You might get a response there. Really better luck with the email. But uh, other than that, you can also support the, po- the podcast if you want to go over to bridiemclean.com. That's me. You can find your way to the Human Connection Through Touch recorded workshop from a couple of months ago. A really nice way to get your hands on a person or a person's hands on you for a little bit of massage a little bit of affection and loving goodness that is it for this week until next week go touch yourself Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.